0: Bonjour, bonjour. Is this the Louvre gift shop? Oui, oui. Well, I'm looking for a sophisticated piece of art to put in my living room. Ah, dans le salon. Yeah, I think. What about this one? Why, Darcy Graham, great feast! Oh, great feat from the young man! Hmm, I'm not sure. How about this piece?
1: Ah, genial. Great choice, monsieur. It's three against one out wide. And Jamie George pins his ears back
0: and gets to the dry line. Actually, maybe not. Hold on. What about this? Oh, this. This is a masterpiece. Oh, Mac Hansen! Mac Hansen! High alive was Mac Hansen. I'll take it.
1: you This is the Past Podcast with me, Charlie. And me, Freddie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he'd kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground.
0: Welcome back to the PotPass Podcast, where Charlie and I will be talking all things rugby from the international stage right the way down to grassroots. And as always, we'll try to throw in a few stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. As you know by now, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you've enjoyed our ramblings and analysis so far, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full pop pass pod experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram and Twitter too. Thanks so much for joining us. Charlie, what have we got coming up today?
1: Well, we'll be going in reverse order this week, breaking down all of the weekend's Six Nations action, including... Stay the for mailings. ins with the inside pass... And Marcus Smith gets the England try. The magic of Marcus Smith and England's first win of the tournament so far in Rome.
0: It's advantage to Wales and they are looking to take advantage. Over they go. A reminder of the power of the Principality as a resurgent Wales beats Scotland. And it's into back inside. To his little mate on the shoulder. A Toulouse One, two. Dupont.
1: And not even a Mac Hansen wonder try could stop France as they beat Ireland to remain the only team with a chance to bring home the elusive Grand Slam.
0: But first, did you know, Charlie, that the famous ex-rugby winger Forrest Gump once said, The Six Nations is like a box of chocolates. You never know which team you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> well, I- I'll explain that. I'll explain that because I was a little bit confused this weekend because Scotland were brilliant last week against England, but mm. they didn't really show up to the same level in Cardiff. Wales were very poor against Ireland, but managed to put in an incredible performance this time out. Italy looked rather solid and stubborn in Paris, but then failed to replicate that against England. And England themselves lacked fluency and tempo in the Calcutta Cup, but managed to bring that to Rome. Well... I guess in the in the first half at least, <laughs> and uh, and a French side who flattered to deceive against Italy in their opener looked every bit the tournament favourites against Ireland. So Charlie, what what's going on? I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's just the magic of the Six Nations. Games are unpredictable. That's what it is. We don't know how teams are going to perform.
0: Exactly. I mean, I think th- another point is that clearly home advantage is more important than ever.
1: Yeah, I'm going to deep dive a little bit into that for okay. this episode just because I was really interested by that whether it's a thing and how much of a thing it could be.
0: Well, I'm really interested to hear that. I mean, it, it's it's a, when you remove Italy from the equation, I'm sure things get very 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 interesting. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we did get most of our predictions wrong yeah uh,
1: i mean my, i mean my scotland prediction which uh, i was just way too optimistic about was completely wrong
0: charlie as a reminder said uh, scotland by 15 Woo-hoo! <laughs> i said scotland by three so i didn't exactly get it right uh a little bit closer though i think also we both went for ireland did, did we both go for ireland or did you go for uh, france i went for france i went okay.
1: france by three i think
0: okay well well, well, well done that's 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 <laughs> two out of three this week i i only got one england i said t- by 20 oh
1: i i think i probably said a similar scoreline yeah like.
0: I mean, it, a 20 was conservative, I think. It was, again, I think I, I was almost too reactionary in my predictions. I kind of just took the first week as gospel and whatever happened then was going to happen in a similar way uh, this weekend, which clearly I was wrong. And now going further into the tournament, I'm I'm probably just going to throw the form book out the window. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's nice to have a little bit of optimism going into these things. You know, for, from a Scotland perspective, I really wanted them to put in the performance we've been waiting for, for. From them, so
0: I mean, it would have been great to see them beat Wales in Cardiff. So good, really nice. But I mean, again, they expended a lot of emotional energy probably against England at Murrayfield, and it's very difficult to back those performances up. And clearly, that's what Scotland need to do going forward: is to start gathering a bit more consistency.
1: They're they're not going to get any higher than third if they aren't able to win those sort of matches. That's the the brutal reality of it yeah
0: i mean we'll talk about a bit more i thought wales were actually very very good i just thought that that scotland side is so stacked now with top quality players and and
1: the welsh side going into it i mean we said it in our first episode were just so low down on on, in terms of like star players they were decimated really i mean scotland were literally without jamie ritchie and that was it and they lost matt fagerson halfway through the game
0: yeah I just think, again, it was Finn Russell was incredible uh, against England and he was less so uh, this week. And again, I'm not going to be reactionary and say that he's a bad player. He's not. He's a great player. But you need your big players to really step up. And Wales had Dan Bigger this week who really put in a great performance. And unfortunately, Finn Russell couldn't quite match his Calcutta Cup heroics. But also, going away from the Six Nations briefly, only briefly, my mum texted me yesterday. Now I'm bringing my mum to the podcast, she did yours in episode one, so (laughs) at least I've waited till episode three. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Not five minutes into episode one. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Uh, But my mum texted me yesterday uh, to tell me that she's going to her first ever bath game on Saturday. Now, not only am I really quite jealous, but if ever there was a sign that this podcast is creating new rugby fans, I think this is it
1: yeah i hope so i
0: I think i'm clutching at straws but i'll I'll take it um that's one at least that's one (laughs) exactly i'll take one for now three episodes in one one new fan good stats yeah but i wanted to take this moment to give my mum a few nuggets of information that will stand her in very good stead Mm. during her trip down to the wreck this weekend Mm. Uh, so mum listen up charlie can you put 30 seconds on the clock for me please
1: Ready, steady, and go.
0: Brilliant. OK, Mum, so Bath are currently bottom of the Premiership with only two wins so far this season, although both those wins have come this year, so we are coming into form. Leicester, on the other hand, are top of the league and have won 13 out of their 15 games, making them pretty heavy favourites. In terms of players to look out for, keep an eye on Bath number 10, Orlando Bailey, and exciting centre Max Jomo They've both also signed new deals this week and could be putting on an England shirt sometime in the near future. And finally, when it comes to scrums, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. So, good luck with that.
1: On the money, thirty seconds exactly.
0: Amazing! I'm so pleased. I haven't really practiced that, so that was. That was <laughs> I'm glad that was that was first time. So, <laughs> but anyway, back to Six Nations. I hope, Mum, I hope you take all those bits of information and you use them when you're talking to your friends at the game.
1: Especially the final point. No one, well, lots of people do know what's what's going on in the scrums, but um, yeah. Yeah, not many.
0: Not many. And I'd be lying if I said I did. Um, But anyway, back to today's episode. As Charlie said, we're going in reverse order. So we're going to start with England's thrashing of Italy in Rome.
1: So once again, the Italians were in fine voice, but failed to land a glove on England with a final score of 33-0, which, to be honest, wasn't too surprising. As always, a big one for everyone's fancy teams and commiserations to all those who captained any of England's attacking assets, hoping for a back's trifest with Marcus Smith being the only back to score masses of points
0: and who who captained him Charlie
1: <laughs> that's why I've written this line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I captained Jack Noel for this week and he went off within the first sort of 10 minutes and then I looked at uh, Charlie's team and saw he captained Marcus Smith and... and
1: i just like to flex that I did my team in three minutes because I was watching the United game and I completely forgot to do it and then suddenly I was like oh my god fancy deadline for for rugby boom
0: it basically shows that fancy rugby takes no skill whatsoever. <laughs> <You're>
1: just, <laughs> just going on gut instinct.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to maintain that. I mean, unless I win, then of course I won't. But I'm in third the <laughs> in our league. Uh, but anyway, yeah, back to the game. That was the first time that England have nilled Italy in a test match ever.
1: I, I can't believe it, really. <laughs>
0: it it, seemed, it does seem really strange. I would have thought we'd have done it at least once in the Six Nations. And isn't
1: that credit to the Italians? You know, they, yeah,
0: definitely. Early
1: days of the Six Nations, I thought it would have happened at least once.
0: Yeah, but I think there is, there's a small caveat to be had here in the fact that they were so far behind that they had lots of kickable penalties that they refused to take and they decided to go to the corner instead in, in pursuit of that seven points. Whereas maybe in a, f- a few years ago where they didn't back themselves as much, they would have just taken sort of three, six, nine points against England. Yeah, I think that's a really England. good
1: point. I think that's a really good point. Maybe we should take the the, the nil with a pinch of salt. Just yeah. being like, okay, yeah, it wasn't really reflective I mean, of how it, they
0: played. It was a great defensive performance because there were a lot of moments where Italy were bashing up against England's, England's line and we managed to, to turn the ball over or secure a penalty. So defensively, it was a great performance. But of course, in terms of the nil... They could have easily had a couple of penalties here or there.
1: I mean, speaking about the defence, as I seem to be bringing tackles literally every time we talk about (laughs) a team, England made Italy tackle a lot more than um, England had to tackle. And they had very similar tackle percentages, both with about 90%. And Italy had attempted about 200 tackles to England's 106. And going back to your penalties point, I mean, both sides conceded 12 penalties. I mean, we don't know how many of those were kickable penalties, but if both sides are equal in in one of the key stats in in the game...
0: Exactly. In terms of balance of play, especially during that really sort of dull period in the second half, England came out of the blocks really quickly, scored their, I think it was their their fourth try, their bonus point try, and then went into a big lull and they were very inconsistent and very sloppy. Mm. Uh, But the Italians couldn't really couldn't really capitalize on that
1: yeah and you could see a little bit of frustration i felt from marcus smith just being like oh god you know this is this is an opportunity for us to really put out a, a top class performance and it didn't really come yeah i mean, fruition.
0: they definitely 21 nil at half time they set themselves up to maybe put 40 points plus uh on italy which they they almost did to be fair apart from slade knocking the ball on on the try line in the last minute yeah. but yeah it, england they got going. They were great in the first half. They brought an incredible tempo to the game, which I think they really lacked against Scotland. And I want to speak a little bit about Harry Randall because I think he was integral uh, to that speed of ball, especially out of the out of the ruck. I'll give you a little stat here, Charlie, because it really typifies the 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 increase in tempo that we had against Italy. Of course, Scotland and Italy are very very different teams. Going to Murrayfield is significantly harder than playing in Rome. But during the game against Scotland, Ben Youngs made 61 passes in the 80 minutes. Harry Randall against Italy, he only played 54 minutes, but only made two passes less. He made 59 passes. So it typifies that uh, increase in tempo that Mm. I was talking about. And I think it really benefited England because currently they don't have that battering ram at Mm. 12. They're playing with far more runners and far more kickers in that back line uh, than, than those big ball carriers. Um, that's not to say that, that players in, in the forwards, particularly Alex Brown, was great at sort of, sort of hitting up yeah, first phase. Yeah,
1: It was a really good game for him.
0: But I think because England don't have those batting rams in the back line in particular, they have to attack in a different way. And that's by increasing that tempo and really stretching the Italians. And I think that's what they did, particularly in that first half. They probably left a lot of points out in the field as well. There were quite a few sloppy errors, especially in that second period.
1: Yeah. I mean, talking about who stood out in the backs, Freddie Stewart was the... Man who produced the most meters made, yeah. so I, I guess that shows. And he wasn't—I wouldn't say it's one of his best performances. So that sort of shows potentially that a lot of players just weren't really sort of able to really create an impact.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was—he was—he was quiet, but he did his job, and that's all you can ask from really. Yeah, it was a shame that Jack Noel had to go off so early. I really was looking forward to seeing him back in an English shirt after I think it was like a thousand days being out. Mm. So a real shame for him, and I don't know if he'll be back for the Wales game. We probably won't. He probably won't be risk, risk for it. Bit of a dodgy HIA situation in that. Very dodgy, I thought.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, it makes, makes you a little bit uncomfortable seeing it from the sidelines, well, from the TV. Um, sure. Just being like, look, this guy clearly should have been off. And yeah, yeah he, the, he was allowed to sort of continue for, yeah. for longer than he should have.
0: And um, when England were closing out the game, George Ford came on last sort of five minutes, which... I found a really, really interesting decision. I really like George Ford as a player, but I just, I don't see the point of him being in that 23. I just don't. I mean, if you're going to put all your hopes on Marcus Smith and you're going to give him 80 minutes, which they did, and you want him to really settle into the England side and put his stamp on it, What's the point of bringing on George Ford to play at inside centre or to even move Marcus Smith out to centre for the last five minutes? Why don't you just add another another back onto the bench or another forward even? Because I don't know what Ford offers, mm. especially if you're going to keep Marcus Smith on. Mm. Of course, if you're planning on taking Smith off, Ford offers a lot. But I don't understand if you're going to keep Marcus Smith on, why bring George Ford all, all the way out to, to to Rome
1: yeah, I guess I mean I-, I liked what George Ford did at the end of that game, and i I guess for me that shows the potential in-, in having that extra sort of card in your back pocket to be like right, okay, the game's not going for us. we'll bring on a really good ten to to maybe change the game, but he didn't do that against Scotland
0: no, I mean he, he didn't really have time to against Scotland to be fair we were we were on the back foot when he came came on I- yeah I-, I don't think he's a bad player and and I agree if they if he's on there as sort of insurance policy if stuff's not going our way, I can understand it maybe a bit more. I was just a bit confused at, at bringing, him up, bringing him on the last five minutes and not even playing him in his right position.
1: And it, in- insurance policy is not New England. It, it's like this sort of weird paradox that, yeah. that Eddie Jones is bringing in to us. He's like advertising New England and then relying on still, well, not relying, but still including Ford. And if Farrell was injured, Farrell would be in there as well, obviously. So yeah, two players that have been the key to England sides over the past oh god, can we say ten years? Is that is that a little oh, bit too harsh? I'm going to say ten, less than that,
0: less than ten years, but I mean it's 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 getting up there.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And also
0: before we before we move on, I really want to speak about uh, Ellis Genge's beautiful assist for Jamie George's <laughs> try. I think it was like off his left hand, like you know, a good sort of ten ten meter pass mm. over the Italian defender. If anything typifies New England... Yeah, that's you know, true. ...come to think of it, it's that.
1: That's true, that's uh, true. Eddie yeah. Jones is
0: all about that hybrid player who can do everything, and Ellis Genge, as much as he can crash it up, and he can scrum relatively well. Mm. Being able to to perform those kinds of passes under pressure is something that's really, really important if this England team wants to take take it to the next level. So that's one thing I'd like to see change for England. The other thing, of course, is that Manu is back. He's going to be back for Wales and we'll talk about that game next week, but it'll definitely be a really important part of us going forward. Now, moving on to arguably the game of the round, I think, France started at a blistering pace in their 30-24 win over Ireland an unbelievable game. It lived up to all the hype. I was really pleased.
1: Yeah, me too. I absolutely love this game. It was, as, as you said, game of the, the round. So yeah, really exciting game of rugby and
0: tries galore. It was, it was. And we, we, we dubbed it sort of the Six Nations final last week. Uh, again, I was worried actually at the start because France, France started off so quick. Uh, DuPont went over with, with just, just a minute gone. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, and then there were 10-0 up, you know, minutes later. And I was thinking, God, like, this Irish side, I've I've built them up as the team to go to Paris to win. And I thought they were going to get smoked in the first sort of 20 minutes and the game would be gone. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a crazy game and they're on the ropes, really, Ireland. And uh, who else but Mac Hansen, man of the match last week, he goes and scores this wonder try off of a Joey Carberry kickoff. Yeah. Um, you could tell he's a 7 player, can't you? You
1: definitely can. I mean, France must be raging from that try. I mean... They know that that is the softest try you can pretty much give in so rugby. So soft. I mean, full credit to Matt Hansen for being in the right place. Amazing take. Yeah. But still, you don't want to be schoolboy rugby, really. You look
0: at the replays, and it's interesting. I think you've got like Damien Penno and uh, Jaminet. Like, no one's really taking responsibility yeah, there. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're right. The angle with Jaminé behind and then Peno shouting at Jaminé. It's like, take it! Yeah, nothing. <laughs> so he does nothing. <laughs> he does nothing.
0: It's, it's, it, no one really took responsibility there. Um, but Mack Hansen, he, he, he capitalised on that. And it really brought Highland back into the game when they were at danger of slipping slipping away very, very early on. It's difficult in the start of the France to, to, to come back. Mm. Uh, just going back to their first try, I remember this the, the, a moment just before Untemac uh, took it and gave it to DuPont but um uni antonio who i did a wikipedia search on this morning and various uh, various sources say that he is between 145 to 155 kilograms wow that's about 23 24 <laughs> stone God. in the commentary he was uh, called the human asteroid <laughs> <laughs> and he almost felt like a bit of a cheat code because he's pretty much guaranteed to get over the gain line he's so much bigger than some of these blokes and the blokes that he's running over are also big guys. I know, it's They're ridiculous. not
1: small. It's absolutely ridiculous. I, it was
0: it, it, it was just silly. Like France had got so many lads who were just absolutely massive. Mm. Um, but particularly, you know Antonio. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so Ireland came back into the game. It was uh, it was 10-7, but a very ill-disciplined first half, I thought, from them. I think they never really got a foothold in the, the first 40 minutes. And they just let France sort of keep the scoreboard ticking over. And now... France have got a kicker in Jaminet, who, who's got this 85% plus success rate. Whereas in the past, they've never really had a kicker. Well, especially in the most recent bars, they haven't had a kicker who really has that higher percentage. I just haven't associated France with like, having a really solid goal they, they've, had,
1: they've had to swap between players many times. Let's put it at that.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, an ill-disciplined island side went into the break 19-7 down, which is a tricky place to be, especially when you're away from home.
1: And without Johnny Sexton.
0: And without Johnny Sexton, who, despite his absence, I did think Joey Carberry played really, really well.
1: Yeah, I thought he was he was pretty good, to be honest, and handling so much pressure yeah. on his shoulders. I thought he did really well.
0: He did really well. And, and you know, Johnny Sexton's going to come back into the side... But he's a great secondary 10. Yeah. And I think he'll, he'll be that Irish 10 for a long time after mm. Johnny Sexton's gone as well. Mm. But yeah, the, the Irish then came out in the second half and really took it to the French. They were at one point, I think, 22-7 down and brought it back to 22-21 with a great Jameson Gibson Park uh, try. Yeah. Great snipe from the scrum half. And it's interesting because I think the French of old may have crumbled there. I think the French role might have just might have become a little bit more ill-disciplined, and maybe have conceded a few more points and, and let Irish get away from them. Yeah, and it still is just this question:
1: like, if Johnny Sexton was on the pitch,
0: would would it have would it have swung the other way? I, I know, just don't know. You don't know. But they played the All Blacks in the autumn. We don't want to keep referring back to it. But the All Blacks had a moment in that second half where they really came back and they were within a couple of points mm. the French. And I thought, oh god, they're done for here. Mm. But then they pulled away again. And that's exactly what they did this weekend. Yeah, They they end up going across the other end, scoring a try and just keeping Ireland at arm's length.
1: But I mean, ultimately what matters is the final score. Unfortunately, Ireland weren't quite with it. But they had a much better second half, as you were saying, and what we were saying last week as well. Because they were, you know, how many points did they score in the second half? 17? Yeah. So, yeah, seven in the first half. So much better in the second half. And that's what matters really from performance-wise without Sexton. And finally, on to Wales' narrow win over Scotland at the Millennium Stadium, thanks to a damn bigger drop goal with 10 minutes to go. Now, last year, Scotland lost by a point, 25-24, a game in which Xander Fagerson got sent off in the 54th minute. So much tighter last year, but still a, a very tight contest this year as well. And I suppose a similar sort of situation, Finn Russell getting Sinbin with just over 10 minutes left to go. Finn, Finn, Finn. Did the game hinge on that one moment? I'm not so sure in this case, but ultimately for for Finn Russell, he's now on two yellow cars and a red in his last seven championship games for Scotland. So, yeah, what do you think? Did that sort of hinge on that one moment? I'm not so sure.
0: I think... I don't think the game hinged on that moment, but I do think it kind of dashed all the Scottish hopes of of, of getting something out of the game. So maybe it did hinge on the game. I don't know. i am kind of confused myself. I just think when I saw it happen, I was like, well, that's the game because everything goes through Finn Russell. Yeah. And if Scotland especially, because at that point, Wales were either going to uh, take the points mm-hmm. Um, or obviously they'd drop gold in the end or they'd score a try so they were inevitably going to be chasing the game I was just thinking with, with that little time to go without their main sort of conductor yeah Chasing a game it would have been a lot harder for Scotland.
1: Indeed, and in, indeed, I think I think for me, I'm I'm really conflicted whether it was the key moment because if you look at the stats, it's really really tight between the two sides. It was sort of fifty fifty, which is reflected in the scoreline. Twenty points to seventeen is still a very close scoreline. But for Scotland, even though Finn Russell went off with about ten minutes to go, they failed to score any points from fifty minutes onwards. So that's half an hour. I mean, like. 20 minutes, basically, with Finn and Russell still on the pitch. And they still managed to not even put anything on Wales. So. Yeah, I
0: mean, against England the week before, they looked like they could score with every attack. They had a lot less ball, but every time they had it, they just looked dangerous. Whereas this week, particularly in the second half, it just felt like they faded. Yeah. And Finn wasn't the same player that he was the week before.
1: Agreed, agreed.
0: And another
1: point, just a quick stat for you. Hamish Watson made 17 successful tackles in that game. Mm -hmm. He's now 180 consecutive tackles not missed in the Six Nations. That's mad. Which is a record. Is it? It is a record. Um, So, yeah... If you see if you see Hamish Watson, Mr Tackle just know I was the one who cursed him. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was
0: it was a really it was a really good game actually and I was disappointed with Scotland because I thought it was if ever there was a time to get that first win um, at the Principality, it was the, probably this weekend. Wales did play a lot better than they did against Ireland, granted. I just think there were just silly mistakes that Scotland didn't make in the Calcutta Cup that they did make this week. Again, going back to that Finn Russell yellow card, it was... he just didn't need to do
1: it. Yeah, well, well, let's talk about it. Like, do you think it... I think it was the right decision.
0: What about you? Oh, 100% the right decision. It was... when it happened, I thought he was lucky that the referee didn't go straight to to his pocket. I just thought it was quite quite yeah. clear... It just seemed a bit impulsive to jump in there when I don't think he had a chance of getting the ball. And, of course, there was a real strong threat from Wales. But you probably back yourself at least to to have a go at chasing the game, even if they score five or seven.
1: Maybe it's a reflection of how they felt they were playing. I mean, they hadn't really threatened Wales in that second half. So maybe he felt like, you know, I've got to change the game somehow. I'm not really making any any yards now anyway so i've got to go for this yeah
0: exactly and it's it's a matter of inches you know if he if he manages to pop that up and catch it and run in he's he's, <laughs> he's lorded hero. a hero yeah. for the second yeah. week in a row yeah. so it's very very fine margins i just i just think that when you're that integral to your team you can't be the one making those impulsive decisions yeah But what
1: matters was it was a tight loss for Scotland. And obviously, I was way too optimistic going into that game. But I just felt justified in my decision that Scotland were, were... This was their opportunity to get their first win at the Millennium Stadium since 2002. Now, I need to just quickly note on that, that they did win in the 2020 season when it was in Plenathley. But, you know, yeah, there there was a potential there to have a historic win. And I just wanted to look back in terms of, like, home advantage. And so I did a bit of a deep dive. Now, Scotland's away record in the Six Nations is awful. I don't (laughs) think I can really put it any other way. Scotland have only beaten England, France, Ireland and Wales away from home once each. That's four out of 40 attempts away from home you could turn it on its head and say, okay, that's really bad. Um, (laughs) But something that gives me sort of as a weird Scotland fan, some confidence is that in 2021, Scotland won at Twickenham, 2021, Scotland won in Paris. 2020, they yep. won in Wales. So we're seeing these... If, if they hadn't won before then in the Six Nations, away mm-hmm. from home. Um, I mean, their first win in Paris since 1999, their first win in Twickenham since 1993. These are our performance... We're seeing Scotland put in performances recently where they can win away from home. And yet, you know, on the weekend, yet again, the same old story. Yep.
0: And uh, And what was different between this
1: year and last year? Crowds were back. Exactly, exactly. And... Sam Warburton said during commentary, he said that Wales are a different beast at the Millennium Stadium, which is what we know. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just sort of see like how big a beast this is. Yeah. It's sort of a burning question, especially from this game. Like what would have happened had it been at Murrowfield, or even what would have happened if it had been played behind closed doors? So let's look into it. Now, the answer to this question, which I'll rephrase. The question posed is, how big a deal is home advantage in the Six Nations? Yeah. The answer, unsurprisingly, is it's extremely hard (laughs) for teams to win away from home. The stats back it up. In the Six Nations, home advantage appears to be worth nearly a full two unconverted tries compared to away advantage. That's 9.3 points as an average score margin in favour of the home team. Once again, let's just dumb that down a little bit really hard for teams to win away from home and a quick note from those stats that that's from 2000 to 2019 because 2020 and 2021 are really difficult and then we can also take away Italy and then things become really interesting so let's have a look at this without Italy now in table like in sort of first to, to last order England are the best team sort of in terms of home advantage, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. You would think it's Wales.
0: Especially because Wales have won a lot more... Well, they've, they've, they've won a few more Grand Slams and Six Nations than England the last 20 years.
1: So England's home advantage is about 14.8 points as, a, as an average winning wow. marg, margin at home. Away from home, 0.7. So they slightly sort of get get the edge also away from home. Okay. Um, France, 6.8 as home advantage. Minus 2.7 away from home, Ireland 8.5, and then minus three away from home, Scotland minus six at home, minus 16.1 away from home. Once again, this is without Italy. So that's awful, both at home and away from home. And then Wales sort of are behind, they're behind France, Ireland, and England. They only have an advantage of 3.4 points as a winning margin at at home. home. And I was really surprised by those stats. Now, if you want to, to look at these and sort of the actual statistics, feel free to message us or uh, yeah. <laughs> fo- follow us on Twitter. That is
0: really surprising. But I just was sort of fla-
1: flabbergasted <laughs> to whip out the, the synonyms um, but by that. I just couldn't believe it. I thought Sam Warbston is completely right. Wales are this, we have this sort of narrative that Wales are this real beast away from home. But clearly, it, the stats don't really back that up. I mean, ultimately, (laughs) Wales, that's points margin. I still think going to the Millennium Stadium is the hardest ground to go to. Yeah. Because ultimately, you have, I'd say, other than maybe New Zealand, the world's most passionate sort of nation for rugby. Definitely. And you're in their own cauldron, this atmosphere that really gives you sort of goosebumps when the national anthem goes. It's so hard to come back from that, but... I found that really interesting that the stats did not back that up one bit.
0: But the thing is with Wales is that I think every year I get reminded why I should never write them off. And this week was another one of those reminders. Okay, that's all for today. Of course, there is no Six Nations this weekend, but that doesn't mean there's no rugby action at all. Charlie, what do we have in store?
1: Well, on Friday, there's Worcester versus Bristol at 7.45. And then on Saturday, pick of the fixtures, Bath versus Leicester, obviously.
0: Bottom of the table, top of the table clash.
1: Live on BT Sport. <laughs> and then also there's, there's Harlequins versus Wasp, which is probably the game you should be watching because that would be really good. But yeah,
0: Bath <laughs> versus Leicester.
1: And then on Sunday, there's London Irish Sarries. and and also Newcastle-Exeter. And then in the URC, there's Munster-Edinburgh on Friday. And Scarlet's-Connacht, Glasgow Warriors-Benetton, probably a try-fest that one, hopefully. So lots of fixtures to get you back into the mood of Premiership and URC rugby, minus the Six Nations.
0: thanks for listening today and thanks once again for all of the support on our first couple of episodes keep your feedback coming we've really loved hearing from you once again if you enjoyed it make sure to go follow the podcast on instagram and twitter at the Pot past pod and give us a five-star rating on spotify and apple podcasts if you like as well we'll be back next week to preview the next round of fixtures and give you our take on our favorite six nation anthems see you then
1: monsieur monsieur do you think Le-, Le Bleu will be able to uh, win the Grand Slam this season?
0: Well, look, th- they've played really well so far. Oui, oui, oui. Uh, I, think, I think they've got a chance. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: and what about Monsieur uh, Dupont? Do you think he is uh, the greatest rugby player of all time?
0: Oh, all time's a bit of a stretch, mate. Uh, 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 Monsieur, he is, he is the best. Le Messi. I mean, what about Dan Carter, Johnny Wilkinson? I mean, what about them?
1: OK, maybe it's a good point. And what about the uh, Wales? Do you think they can win the championship? Uh, no, certainly not. Uh, maybe you are right about the Welsh. Well, I hope you come back to my uh, pop past podcast uh, art shop another time. And uh, next time, don't forget to download the episode. This is the Pop Past podcast with me Charlie and me Freddy. Thanks so much for listening.